Until I became a parent, I never realized that reality was so debatable. I mean, almost daily, my two boys will get into an argument that sounds something like this. That shirt is red. The other one will say, no, it's not. Guess what the other one says back? Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I had that first. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I mean, there's only one truth, right? But, but two sides, and neither one of them are going to move off of it. In fact, yesterday, the argument was whether Target sold other things than toys. We were on our way home, and my daughter loves to shop. And she asked Mom, she said, can, can we go to Target? And uh, I said, well, I'm going home because uh, I don't shop with Jaira. She's not in here. She's helping with water day, so I get to say whatever I want. I don't shop with Jaira because Jaira can look for hours and buy nothing. Buy nothing. I Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Listen, I don't shop with Jaira. I love her to death. I would die for her today, but I won't shop with her. And she said, Mom, can you take us back to Target? And Ryland said, I want to go to Target. That's my three-year-old. He said, I want to go to Target. I said, why do you want to go to Target? He said, because they have toys. I said, well, they got other things too. I said, they have clothes. They have groceries. They have underwear. He said, no, they don't. You know what I said? Yes, they do. You got Spider-Man underwear on right now that came from Target. No, they didn't. I said, well, where did they come from? He said, the gas station. <laughs> I said, no, your, your underwear didn't come from the gas station. They came from Target. No, Target has toys. I said, Target has other stuff. And Jaira got in on the argument. She says, buddy, what about this and that? Remember that time? He said, no, Target has toys. Reality is debatable. It struck me that as many times as we've been there, he doesn't see anything but toys. Nearly everything that he owns comes from there. He was wearing shoes, pants, and a shirt that came from Target yesterday. But all he sees when he thinks about Target is toys. And, and you know, he tunes everything out because uh, the moment that we walk in the store... He doesn't see the clothes. He doesn't see the glasses that you walk by. He doesn't see the rows of groceries. He doesn't, he doesn't see all of that. All he cares about are the toys. If I had some kids in here, they'd be shouting with me. <laughs> That's all he cares about. We experience the same store as him, but we see a different reality. Because he has learned to tune out all the stuff that he isn't interested in that aren't for him. And he is locked in on the toys from the moment that we enter the store till we leave it. All he cares about are the toys. Call it confirmation bias. Call it perspective. Call it a difference of opinion. Call it whatever you want to call it. But the truth is that we all filter reality through our inner decisions that reflect our deepest desires, our deepest hurts, our faith. And our fears. And because of those, sometimes we can't see what everybody else is seeing. Siblings can live through the same tragedies. And some come out thanking God while others come out questioning everything. I want to begin this message by stating simply that we get to choose what we see. 
Just like Ryland, he doesn't care about scarves and, 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 and sails and clothes. All he cares about is his heart is set on the toys. And so he chooses to see nothing but the thing that he desires the most. You see, some go through life and they see the struggle, but others see the progress. Some see the heartbreak, but others see the healing. Some see obstacles, but others see opportunities. And I'm here to tell you this morning that our reality is being filtered by our inner man. And what happens in the heart has the ability to impact how you see every situation. Because sometimes we know too much. You ever heard somebody talk good about somebody that you knew too much about? You're trying to get that zipper closed as fast as you can on your lips. We filter what we know and what we see, and that informs our perspective, what we've experienced and what we've been through and what we want to see. You ever heard the saying, people see what they want to see? We get to choose how we see every situation. And interestingly, in Genesis chapter 17, God saw some stuff that Abram couldn't see. God shows up and he begins to speak about a fruitful future to a 99-year-old man. God sees some things in Abram's tomorrow that he cannot see because he's 99. And his wife is 10 years younger. She's 89. And God begins to show up talking about how you're going to be a father of nations. I'm 37. I don't want any more kids. The ones I've got... Are enough. Can I get an amen, Brother Roger? <laughs> you don't know Brother Roger, he got a lot of kids. <laughs> Abram can't see that about his future, but God sees some stuff in Abraham that Abram doesn't see. And, and what's interesting about this passage, I'm not going to take too long with it, but, but leading into it in Genesis chapter 16 is the story of how um, Abram and Sarah, that they... they, they concocted this plan because God, for multiple times, three times God had come to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a father of nations. I'm going to make you a father of nations, and, and you're going to have a promised son. And, and uh, three times God had shown up in their life and spoken about it, and it still hadn't happened. And time was passing, and Sarah was thinking the window had closed for the promise of God to come to pass. And so she says, Abraham, take Hagar as my handmaid, as your wife. And, and Abram said, yes, ma'am. And, and before you know it, baby Ishmael comes along from Hagar and Abram. And this is not the son that God promised. This is not the future that God promised. In fact, he'll go on to compete with everything that God had declared for Abraham. And, and this was never in the cards for Abram and Sarah. This was never supposed to be. And, and after Abram and Sarah, or Abram and Hagar have Ishmael, Sarah gets jealous. And she says, my handmaid now despises me because she has a son and I can't produce one. And Abram says to Sarah, you do whatever you need to do with her. And Sarah sends Hagar away. And it's in the desert, running away, a pregnant young mom. She, she's in the desert, lost, thinking that she's going to die. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord shows up and, and meets with Hagar in the desert, in her worst moment. And he says, where are you going, Hagar? 
And Hagar says, I'm fleeing from Sarah because she desires my life. She, she has kicked me out of the house and, and she's ruined everything. And God tells her, it's time for you to go back and live in Abram's house. Because there's some things that you can't see that I can see. And he says, if you'll go back and submit yourself to Sarah, as uncomfortable as it seems, he says, I will multiply your offspring. And your son will be the father of 12 more sons. And if you'll go back, I'll do some stuff in your life that you never saw coming. And Hagar is blown away that God has met her there. And thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She says, you are the God who sees me. Have I truly seen the one who sees me? She couldn't see it. She couldn't see a future. She couldn't find a hope. But God saw some stuff in Hagar's life that Hagar didn't see. And then the chapter quickly turns to our text in Genesis chapter 17. And it's uh, 13 years later after Ishmael is born. And it's 13 years since Abram has heard anything from God. And God appears to a man who by all appearances had given up on God's plan for his life. And he had messed it all up. He had tried it his own way. He doesn't look so much like the father of faith here as he does the failure of faith. He's listened to Sarah's doubt and tried to unfold the promise on his own. And he's an old man with a long history a distant memory of a promise. And at 99 years old, God shows up to him. And he says, Abram, I know that you think it's over. I know that you've given up and you've messed up in my plan. I know that you've allowed others to come in and change your trajectory. And it may look like your family's messed up. Your home life is messed up. It may look like you've departed from what I prepared and promised you. But he said, Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. The God who can do anything. That's what God Almighty means. He says, I'm God Almighty. And when we've messed up, the first thing we need to understand is that He is God Almighty. The God who can do anything shows up after Abram has made a mess of things. And he says, walk before me and be blameless. Because I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I'm going to keep my promise to multiply you greatly. Hear me at the beginning of this message, that it is never too late for God. It is never too late for God. Abram thinks it's over with. He's resigned himself to living with his Ishmael. It's been 13 years since Ishmael was born. And there's no record of Abraham hearing anything from God. 13 years, not a word from heaven. Not a, not a promise confirmed. 13 years. And after 13 years of living in a messed up situation, God shows up. And he says, I'm the God who is almighty. I'm the God who's big enough. I'm the God who's strong enough. I'm the God who's able enough to deliver the promise that you thought that you messed up. I'm the God that is the God Almighty. And he said, Abram, you can still walk before me and be blameless. Your past doesn't have to dictate your future. I'm the God who can do anything. It's never, somebody say it's never, never too late for God. 
It's never too late for God. You haven't messed it up bad enough yet. You haven't messed it up. You can't get that far from God that God can't find you right where you are. God shows up and says, Abram, history doesn't matter. Circumstances doesn't matter. How you messed up doesn't matter because I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Abram had made a mess. But God shows up 13 years after his failure and begins speaking life to dead dreams, hope to distant promises. And when Abram hears it, the scripture tells us that he falls on his face. And God begins to speak some things that are not yet as though they already are. God begins to talk to Abraham according to his future, not according to his history. And Genesis 17, 4, he says to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. God was speaking to a man who had made a mess of his family. He had made a mess of the promises and plan of God for his life. He had opted for an easier version of God's vision for himself, and for 13 years he had lived with it. He wore it every day in his name, Abram, which means great father. That's what his name means, great father. Every time someone called his name, it reminded him that he had one son. And that son was not the son that God had promised. It wasn't the one that God had told him would come. And every time he signed his name to a contract or a paper, every time he wrote a check, I don't know if they had checks, but if they did, every time he wrote one, he's reminded of who he is and where he's living and the mistakes that he has made. He wears it every single day of his life. But God shows up and he says, no longer will you be called Abram. But you shall be called Abraham, which means the father of many nations. Not just great father, but father of many nations. Because God did not see what Abram was. God saw what Abram could be. And he says, I am the God who calls things that are not as though they already are. I'm the God who calls the things that do not exist into existence. I'm the God that sees beyond the circumstance, that sees beyond the limitation. I'm the God who sees what you cannot see. And so I say what you've never thought to say. God says you're not Abram anymore. You're Abraham. Because God refused to let Abram live with the label of his past, living in the shadow of his failure. But though he had received the promised son yet, and though nations were yet to come, God calls him now what he will be later. See, when God enters your story, your identity is not bound to your yesterday, but it's bound to your tomorrow. And God, who's rich in mercy, doesn't, doesn't deal with Abraham on the level that he's been living at. But God begins to call some things out of Abraham's life and begins to speak some things into existence in Abraham's life. God was not ignorant about where Abram had been. 
but he had already seen where Abraham was going. Abram didn't see it yet. The world didn't see it yet. Sarah, his wife, did not see it yet. But God saw it in Abraham's life. Long before this moment, three other times God had appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to make you a, a, a father of many nations. I'll make your seed like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And for over 20 years, Abram had lived with these promises of God, seeing nothing come to pass. But God deals with him on the level of his future, not his past. God saw it, so somebody say he spoke it. God saw it, so he spoke it. And at the moment, Abram was an old man who had a single son. But God spoke to him as if the promise were already accomplished in his life. Do you know what that means? God calls his shot. God calls his shot. You can call it prophecy. You can call it all sorts of things. But if you've ever played any basketball, you know you're good. There used to be a commercial with uh, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird back in the day where they're calling their shots. And, and it starts off, I'm going to knock down a turnaround three-pointer. Before you know it, they're standing on the other side, off the roof of the gym, the backboard. It's going to bounce three times and go in the basket, and they make it every They're calling their shots. And this is what God is saying. Is He's saying, I'm calling my shot on you, Abram. It may look like you're too far gone. It may look like your body is beyond the window of opportunity. You're an old man with an old woman for a wife. And y'all y'all more worried about Medicare than you are about Gerber baby life insurance plans. Y'all more worried about Medicare supplements than you are about having maternity insurance. Is anybody with me? They're beyond that time in their life. And God says, Abram, I am God Almighty and I'm calling my shot. It doesn't look like you can get there from here. It doesn't look like you have the ability to do it from here. But I am God Almighty and you can walk before me and be blameless. You can walk before me and become everything that I've called you to be and you can See everything that I've spoken into existence. God calls a shot. He calls what hasn't happened yet and tells us what is about to happen. And his word is so affixed to his character that he speaks as if it's already done. Why does God do that? Why doesn't he just wait until he accomplishes it? Because his word is his character. And when God promises something, God always, somebody say always, comes through. God always comes through. When God speaks it, it's already done. And he calls Abraham some stuff that he's not. And we're looking at Abram and Sarah and we're saying, no, it's not. And God is saying, yes, it is. Because I've got a plan. But what about all this other stuff? What about the racks of disappointment that you got to walk past? What about the sale on broken dreams and abandoned desires? What, what about all that other stuff? God doesn't see it. What God sees is that Abraham is still on the way. Abraham is still on the path. That his hand is still on Abraham. Even though Abraham thought he messed it up, he's still with Abraham. He's still God above it all. He's still God over it all. And so he says, Abraham, it's not over. And Abraham says, it feels like it is. And God says, it's not. Because I can see what you can't see. 
God's words to Abraham were seasoned with the language of the future. You shall be a father of many nations. I will make you fruitful. I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you. God was calling things forth from Abram's future. The same voice that called light out of darkness. The same voice who gathered the seas and spoke land into existence. The same voice who said, let there be, and there was, was now revealing his creative power in a different kind of project. Now he was calling new life out of an old man. He was calling new hope out of a broken dream. He was calling a better tomorrow out of a broken history. He was calling the things that are not as though they already are. And if we could hear what he was saying in this room today, we might hear him talking about your future too. We might hear him telling your dreams to live again, to rise again. We might hear him calling freedom from your bondage. We might hear him speaking deliverance to lives that have been so tangled in sin that they can't shake loose. We might hear him speaking peace over a mind that has been plagued by anxiety and fear. We might hear him calling you faithful who have been full of doubt. He is the God who calls the things that are not as though they are. And when he does, we can't believe that it will happen. Does anybody believe that today? Abraham heard the voice of God. And listen, he believed what he heard. Romans 4.18 says, In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And listen, he did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Not only was Sarah old, she had never had children even in her years of fertility. He says he considered it all. How old he was, how barren she was, how old she was. He probably didn't say that last part out loud. But he considered it all. And listen, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that what God was able to do, what he had promised. The King James says it like this, that God was able to perform what he promised. Abram looked at all of the evidence. He looked at everything in his life that didn't measure up to the promises and the plans of God. He looked at how old he was and how barren she was. And the Bible says that he still chose to believe. Why? Why is it hard for us to believe the promises of God? Because it is believing that unlocks becoming. Abram believed God, and so he became the father of many nations. Abram believed it inwardly before he ever showed it outwardly. Because, listen, doubt is a weapon that is designed to abort God's plans for you before they ever begin. I'm not going to preach much longer. But I want somebody to understand this. When God speaks a word into your life, a word into your spirit, 
the Bible talks about the seed being the word of God and that the enemy comes along to snatch it from you. Y- y'all remember that parable that Jesus told? Why did he do it at that stage and at that point? Because that is in the gap where believing or doubting happens. Is when the word comes, you've got a choice of whether you want to see what you see or whether you want to see what God sees. And Abraham hears God saying it and he's in this moment of truth. Will I believe and become what God has called me to be or will I doubt? Will I hover back and say maybe it won't work? What if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't come through? And the enemy wants nothing more than to abort your faith before it ever begins. The enemy wants to keep you from envisioning it so that you won't embrace it. And if you don't embrace it, then you won't actualize it. Understand this, the enemy is going to put evidence in your path to tell you that God's word is not true. I'm reminded of Isaac when his sons came back with the bloody coat of Joseph. Joseph was alive and well, though he was in bondage and slavery. He had been thrown into a pit. But his brothers took his coat, and they dipped it in blood, and they brought it back to Isaac. And here's the thing. They didn't say anything. They said, we we found his coat. We found his coat. You know what Isaac said? Isaac looked at the evidence before him, and he said, oh, no, some lion has come and torn my son to pieces. It was a slick trick by the brothers who had sold Joseph out because they knew that if Isaac came to the conclusion that Joseph was dead, that he would not do everything in his power to go find him. If Isaac had known that Joseph was alive, nothing would have stopped that father from finding his boy and redeeming him out of slavery. They knew that if he really knew the truth, And if he really saw what they had seen, that he would never give up on Joseph. And so here's what happens as they show him the bloody coat. And they never said that a lion took him. Go look it up. They never said it. Isaac sees the evidence and comes to his own conclusion that his son is now dead. And that's exactly what the enemy does to us. Is when God speaks something and when God brings something to pass in our life, He's going to show you something that will give you the assumption and make you believe that it's not possible, that the window is closed, that, that, that it's already finished and it's too late and you're too far gone. Is, is you're looking at all of the stuff in front of you and it's designed to make you doubt. The enemy wants you to doubt the truth. He wants you to doubt yourself. He wants you to doubt God's love for you. He wants you to doubt those who were sent to help you. And he'll put evidence in your face to destroy your faith because he knows that if you ever start believing, circumstances won't sway you. If you ever start believing, storms won't stop you. If you ever start believing, battles won't break you. It might get rough. It might be tough. But when you believe in God, you just keep believing. Abram didn't take the bait. He saw how old he was. He looked over and saw his wife walking across the living room, groaning, oh, my back. And Abram saw all of it. He wasn't ignorant. He wasn't blind. But Abraham chose to believe. He chose to believe that God was big enough. He chose to believe that God was able. 
He chose to understand and believe that even if I don't see it, even if I can't explain it, even if I don't know how God will accomplish it, even if I don't think Sarah's up to it and I'm not up to it, if God spoke it, I believe it. You see, my faith makes me whole when I believe what Jesus says. No longer incomplete, no longer on the outside looking in. Jesus' words to blind Bartimaeus, thy faith hath made thee whole. Somebody say, faith makes me. Faith makes me. My faith has made me whole. The woman with the issue of blood said, if I shall but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And when she comes out of the crowd trembling, Jesus says, lady, you can go and be cleansed of thy plague. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Our problem is we don't become because we don't believe. Because God spoke some things over your family. He spoke some callings into your life. He spoke some dedication and some commitments. And we see, man, I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. I don't have the resources. I can't do what God wants me to do. I can't be who God wants me to be. And we're looking at the evidence and God is above it all saying, you don't understand. I'm the God who calls things into existence that do not exist. I'm the God who can speak life into your marriage, healing into your body. I'm the God who is able. My faith makes me whole. Our problem is we believe what we can see rather than trusting what he can do. And I'm here to tell you that if it, if it were plausible, it wouldn't be a promise of God. If it were plausible, it wouldn't be a promise because God doesn't make insignificant promises. When God speaks, He speaks things that seem impossible. They seem implausible. Our flesh and our enemy will make sure that there are plenty of reasons to doubt it. Abraham is the father of the faithful because when God started calling things out of his life that looked impossible, he didn't stand with what he could see in the present, but he believed in what he could hear in the promise. And this is what I've come to preach to somebody today. That you're looking at your life and you feel the tug of God on your heart. And you say, I don't know how I'll ever get to where I feel like God wants me to be. I don't know how I can ever get there. And I'm here to tell you that it's your faith that makes you whole. Choosing to believe. I want Brother Toby to go ahead and come. Choosing to believe. No matter what it looks like. Faith is a choice. And Abraham chose to put his hope in God against all of the odds. He wasn't stupid. He wasn't ignorant. He saw clearly who he was. How limited he was. How unable he was. Brother Darrell, he wasn't deceived at all about how big of a thing that God was saying to him. But when Abraham stepped back, he took into account who it was that was speaking to him. God showed up into his life at 99 years old. He said, I am God Almighty. You can still be blameless. You can still be all the things that I said you can be if you'll believe trust in me. Abraham grew strong in the faith. It says he did not waver in unbelief. But he grew strong in faith. Listen, he didn't start as sure as he finished. I'm not asking you today 
to have mountaintop faith. The Bible says Abraham grew in faith. What happened was he saw all the doubts and he chose to dismiss them. He swiped them aside. He said, get them out of the way. I'm looking at God. I'm trusting in God. And as Abraham trusted in God, his faith grew stronger. Somebody say it grew. If you'll choose faith, your faith can grow. Listen to how. He didn't start as sure as he finished. But as he glorified God, his faith grew. The more that he magnified God, the more he believed in God's intentions over his life. It is entirely possible to worship your way to full persuasion. Because the next verse says that Abram was fully persuaded that God was able to perform what he had promised. Did he start that way? No. He came with doubts. He came with fears. He came with evidence of why it could not be. He came with all that stuff. But when Abraham started to glorify and magnify God in his life, his His faith began to grow. His faith began to get a little bit bigger. And he said, Lord, I don't know how I can do it, but God, you're bigger than I am. You're stronger than I am. And as he glorified God, his faith grew until he was fully persuaded. Perhaps the reason our faith seems fruitless as we all stand is that we put too much stock in what seems wrong rather than what seems right. Perhaps we lose faith in God because we walk away from life-giving words without ever glorifying God and growing strong in our faith. Of this, I am sure today that God is speaking life in this room. God is speaking hope in this room. God is speaking healing in this place. God is speaking new tomorrows in this place. And we have a choice of whether we want to look at what we can see or whether we want to believe in what God can see. I'm talking to somebody who's beat down and broken in this place. To somebody who feels like it's slipped away from you. God has a way of showing up in broken moments when we are at the bottom, when we seem so far from what we were called to be. Gideon was cowering in a wine press, covered in wheat, threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites. And God shows up in that cowering moment. And he says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. You don't see it, Gideon, but I'm speaking it because I can see it in you. God shows up to Abram after 13 years of living with Ishmael and Hagar in a broken household. And God says, Abram, you may feel like a failed father of one, but you're really Abraham, the father of many nations. The apostle Paul was blinded and knocked down and blinded by God, an enemy to the faith. But God shows up in that moment and he says to Ananias, go and find Paul because he is a chosen vessel unto me. Can you hear me today? That it's not where you've been. It's not where you are now that defines your future. God is speaking as he did from the very beginning and he's calling some things that are not.
as though they already are. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And if if you've been struggling, I just want you to lift up your hand in this room. We're going to pray. The worship team is going to come. And we're going to have a time of prayer at the end of this service. But as my head hit the pillow Friday night, I was seeking God for what to say in this service. And I heard the whisper of the voice of God as sure as that my head hit the pillow. He said, I am the God who calls things that are not as though they are. I speak things into existence that don't exist yet. And you've come today feeling so broken and so far from where you should be. But I wonder if you would open up your ears to what God is saying today. If you wouldn't hear God speaking life and hope and meaning and purpose over you. Come on, would you just lift up your hands all across this room? And can we pray together right now? Come on, lift up your voice and let's pray together right now. In the name of Jesus, God, we put our hope, our faith, our trust in you today, God. God, even when we can't see it, God, even when we see all the evidence against it, God, we choose to believe in who you are. We choose to believe in who you are, God. Come on, that's it. Somebody reach out. These altars are open. Please come down. Somebody walk down and say, God, I'm choosing to trust in you today. I'm choosing to walk before you today. And even though all the evidence says it's over, even though my hopes are broken, even though I don't see it all, God, I'm choosing to believe. Come on, that's it. Would you come? Would you take a time of worship? Come on, CLC. Come forward at this time.